Hello, and welcome to Jetavanaram Buddhist Monastery. Today, we meet with yet another episode of a new series of talks titled Buddha's Guide to Happiness. Over the last six or so episodes, I have been talking to you about my personal philosophy to achieve happiness. It is not my invention, per se. It is something that I was helped to discover. And through these talks, my intention is to share that path with you. Because I believe that as much as we talk about happiness, it is something that everyone, everywhere, throughout the world, seems to be interested in and in the pursuit of. People aren't really happy and content in their lives. People all around us, including ourselves, generally speaking, are always trying to be happy, but never quite happy. But that defeats the purpose, in my opinion. Because if happiness is something we must always run after, then we are always one step behind it. In which case, it is the pursuit of happiness that keeps us unhappy. I believe you'll see the irony in that. The very thing that we are after, if it only gets us the opposite of that very thing, then that is quite ironical, particularly when it comes to happiness. If it is our pursuit of happiness that keeps us unhappy, then what is the point of happiness? So when you look around you, in the world we live in, people do all sorts of things to be happy. People are always trying to be happy, but never quite happy. So is it something that is unachievable? It is, is it something that we must always strive for? but something that we will never be able to accomplish? These are questions that we must ponder. And these are questions that we must at least attempt to find answers to. Because there is one thing that is common to all of us. And that is, if we were to offer the purpose of life after all things are considered, when everything is said and done, isn't the purpose of life the achievement of a satisfaction, fulfillment, contentment and happiness? If that is the purpose of life itself, and we go through as many years as life offers us, 
But in the end, if that is the one thing that we have been unable to achieve, then what is the point of having lived in the first place? Is a question we must all ask ourselves. But why wait till it's too late? This may be a question that people ask of themselves towards the latter part of their lives. Right at the end of their lives. As they turn the last few pages of the book of life, nearing the words, the end, this may be a question that people are forced to find an answer to, an answer that they can be content with. Because it is very unsettling, and it would be, quite obviously, and quite understandably, it would be very unsettling if at the end of 70, 80, 90, or even 100 years of life, if you were to ask yourself the question, was it worth having lived this long a life? If the purpose of it was to achieve happiness, and yet, throughout these years, I have done everything under the sun, everything I could possibly imagine to achieve it. But alas, today, I have reached the end without having achieved it. That is not something I would want for myself, and it certainly isn't something I would want for you or anyone. But unfortunately, it is something that we see all the time. Having gone through life, at least 30 or so years of it, and having worked in many a profession, having been exposed to people of all walks of life, at all ages, men, women, children, something that I have seen is unfortunately common, and that is virtually everyone at the end of their life wish that life were a tad bit different, that life treated them just a little bit different. They wish that life turned out to be a diff little bit different. In other words, what they're saying is, if only I could have achieved what I wanted to achieve, then my life would have been purposeful. But then, of course, it's too late to change anything. And that is why we bring to you these talks, so that you don't regret at the end of this project that is life, a project of limited time, as all projects are, something that has a start and an end date, something that has an objective. And if that objective is the achievement of happiness, and you are given a limited amount of time within which to achieve that, I don't want any of you to regret. I certainly don't want it for myself. And on my quest to break free from this conundrum, I have come to realize that there is only one path to achieving 
that unconditional happiness. The purpose of these talks is to bring that to you step by step, to share that with you. My experience of having traversed this journey, I'm still on it. I haven't quite completed it yet. I'll be the first to admit that. But I see light at the end of this tunnel. And I want you to come along with me. I'd like to share this with you so that you have available to you yet another option, another avenue to consider as you take the next step in life. So, last week we made a segue into understanding the workings of pleasure, what pleasure is really all about, and how we can possibly try and define it, and even how we could try and measure it. I'd like to continue from where we left off last week. Before we do that, let us take a moment to pay our veneration to the Lord Buddha, the Supremely Enlightened One, and continue with our discussion. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasse Those of you who joined us last week will, I'm sure, remember that we discussed this concept of beauty to some extent. Why did we discuss beauty? Well, our subject is really pleasure because, remember, a couple of talks back, we began to analyze what happiness was, and I proposed that for the purpose of these talks, let's consider that there are two types of happiness. So I keep retracing my steps so that in case any of you may join this journey along the way, then you know what you may need to go back and revisit. And it's always a good idea to go back and start from the beginning. Because this is a step-by-step process, a journey that I take you along with me. And it would always be beneficial if you have only just joined these talks to, when you find the time, go back and start from talk number one, which was titled, Why Buddhism? So, last week's talk, we were discussing the subject of beauty And as I was saying, the purpose or the reason that we discussed this was because I proposed to you that there are two types of happiness. One, unconditional, meaning a happiness that is independent, that does not require the coming together of one or more factors. A happiness that is yours no matter what happens around you. Now, this is our goal. 
this is the end that we all seek and this is the end that i will help you see i will help you realize as we move forward but before we get there i need to help you realize the problem with the other kind of happiness if there is a problem because i don't expect anyone to switch from one to the other unless there's a problem with what you already have so we are all familiar with a type of happiness this is the the kind of happiness that we have all been seeking and pursuing in our lives and before i show you an alternative i want you to consider if there's a problem with the happiness that we have all come to know and we know so well and that is conditional happiness this conditional happiness for the purpose of these talks i suggested that we refer to it as pleasure and that is what got us this far so on the one hand you have unconditional happiness which is the ultimate aim the ultimate goal of these talks of this program and we'll get to that eventually but as we get there we need to try and understand if there's anything fundamentally wrong with the happiness that we all know so well and that is this conditional happiness also known as pleasure we have all experienced pleasure in our lives it would not be fair to say that life is always an experience of pleasure there's of course pain and pleasure the ups and downs in life but we always try to aim for pleasure and we always try to drive ourselves away from pain we don't like pain we like pleasure but somehow circumstances in life the vicissitudes of life seem to throw us back to pain from time to time and then our quest has always been how do we pick ourselves back up again and move across to pleasure and then again things happen life happens and you're back to pain so this project of life seems to be like a constant and never ending exercise of moving from pain to pleasure but more about that later so that was probably a trailer of what's coming in perhaps one or two talks time but for now pleasure we all have experienced pleasure to more or less a degree and we all like pleasure so is there a problem with pleasure well you see the pleasure that we have all come to know and love so much is conditional meaning there are things that have to line up there are factors that need to come together aggregate for us to be able to experience this pleasure now we know that much and last week what we tried to understand was are there different types of pleasure so if you remember we talked about how we experience the world around us 
we have our five senses. There is the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body. Our five sense doors. And through our five sense doors, we sense what goes on around us. Through our five sense doors, we experience pleasure. So, we then began to analyze how is it that we experience this pleasure? What is pleasure? What is the pleasure that we experience through the eye sense door? And we all know that when we experience pleasure through sight, which is what we use our eyes for, when we experience pleasure through sight, we refer to that as beauty. Right? That's when we say something's beautiful. So when do we say something's beautiful? We say something's beautiful when we see a sight and we wish to say that we find it pleasurable. A pleasurable sight is something we refer to as beauty. So that much we're all com quite comfortable with. And then, in last week's talk, I took you one step further and I asked you to analyze how is it that we find certain things beautiful? Why are some things beautiful to some and not so beautiful to others? Why do you find some things attractive and some things not so attractive? Why do others find the things that you don't find attractive, attractive? And why is it that the things that they find unattractive, you find attractive? How is that possible? If attractiveness or beautiful, or beauty even, is an aspect or a characteristic of the sight or the outside world object, by object, I don't, I don't only mean hard, solid things. It could be absolutely anything. It's how we refer to an object in physics, for instance. An object can be a physical object, solid, liquid or gas. To put it quite simply, it could be a person. So we find people beautiful, don't we? You find yourselves admiring some people and their beauty and you say, that person is quite beautiful. He's quite handsome. She's very pretty. These are all words that we use to describe beauty. And what is beauty again? Beauty is what we experience. It is how we express the experience of pleasure when we see that sight. And we say that we find beauty in the world around us. So some of the examples we discussed last week were the sunset. People like watching the sunset. Some do, some don't. Works of art, drawings. Different people find different pieces of art beautiful. A flower. Some like daisies, others like daffodils. People. 
Some like Asian, others like Caucasian. Some like fair-skinned, others like dark-skinned. If you were to ask a group of people, let's take men for instance, and you show them ladies of different races, different facial characteristics, Everyone's going to be unique, unless, of course, they're identical twins. And you ask them to score how beautiful, how attractive they find the ladies that, they have, that, have, that, that have been presented to them. Chances are that each one of them will have a different score for how beautiful they find the ladies. And why is that? Because if beauty is a characteristic of the person, then it should be the same no matter who the observer is. You've heard the expression, haven't you? Beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. So if beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder, where does it not lie? It does not lie in the object. Last week I suggested to you that if a characteristic, a particular characteristic of anything exists in the object, then we should have some way of measuring it. Right? We took the example of a girl and I could ask you how much does she weigh? So let's ask 10 fine young men We show them a girl that you find attractive. Right? So we've, we've got a, a specimen and we have 10 young men looking at this girl and we ask them, how much does she weigh? Well, the simplest way to answer that question would be to get a weighing scale. Would you get on that for us for a moment, please, dear? And you look at the reading and everyone comes up with the same answer. She weighs this amount of kilos. Does anyone want to argue? Does anyone would, would, would anyone like to debate? No? Everyone's quite happy and content with that. If the weighing scale says that she weighs 65 kilos, then that's fine. She, that's what she weighs. No arguments, no debate, no questions. Okay, how tall is she? Let's ask this group of observers. How tall is she? I right, do us a favor, darling, and stand next to the wall. All right, now let's just mark where your head meets the wall. All right, now step aside for us, please. Let's get a measuring tape and measure the distance between that point and the floor. All right, and let's say we get 1.2 meters. All right, and now. We ask, 
Does anyone want to argue? Does anyone want to debate whether she's that tall or if there's a if you think she's taller than 1.2 meters? Do you think she's shorter than 1.2 meters? Would you like to debate that? Would you like to argue what this measuring tape has shown us? No. No one in their sane mind would argue with that. So we have no problem there. You could take her temperature. You could even ask, what color do you think she is? What is her complexion? Is she dark or is she fair? What color is her hair? How long is her hair? Again, you could measure that. How thick is her hair? Again, you could measure that. See? You can measure these things and you're not going to get anyone putting themselves forward to debate or argue any of these values because they are objective. In other words, these characteristics are present in the object. They are part and parcel of the object. The object itself is 1.2 meters. The object itself is 65 kilos. The object itself has a temperature of 96.9 degrees Celsius. These are all characteristics of the object. No matter how many times you measure it, you're going to get the same answer. No matter who measures it, you're going to get the same answer. To change these measurements, you have to change the object. Right? So you could ask the girl to step aside and ask someone else to step in. Now you could take those measurements again and of course you're going to get different values. Now you ask that second participant to step aside again and the, the first participant, the first girl to step back into her place and take those measurements again and it's going to be the same readings you got before. Why is that so? Because these are characteristics of the object. I'm probably making this simpler than it needs to be. I agree. But I'm doing it because I want you to completely and fully appreciate and understand this. Because eventually you will begin to realize that what you have so far and thus far in life sought in the objects around you were never really present in them. And therefore, your quest to find them in those objects has never been a fulfilling task. I want to save you the hassle. I want to save you from the trouble that you go through throughout your lives trying to find the un unseekable trying to find something that does not exist in the outside world. Now, I dare not say that beauty does not exist. That is not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is beauty does not exist where you think it is. Beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. I have taken the example of a girl 
and how beautiful she looks. Are there any units to measure this beauty? You could ask someone, can you score how beautiful she is on a scale of 1 to 10? But what are the units? What are the units of beauty? The answer is, there aren't any. Because science does not agree. Science does not agree that beauty can be measured. Even science doesn't agree with that, let alone Buddhist philosophy. The only thing is, we never stop to question, we never stop to ponder these things. It never dawned upon us to try to, to, to stop, to take a moment, to ask ourselves the question, hang on a second. I always thought she was beautiful, but really, is she beautiful or do I just simply find her beautiful? See, I find her beautiful. It's not the her that I find. It's the beautiful that I find. She's there. And the same goes for sounds. Music. Different people have different tastes in music, don't they? Just think about the people you live with at home. You, your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your grandparents, your colleagues, your friends. Do they all have the same taste in music? Absolutely everyone? Why not? Why do different people find different types of music pleasing to the ear? Why is beauty to the ear different from ear to ear? See, if there was one particular artist whose songs, whose music was so beautiful, why do we need so many artists? And besides, remember the other point that we discussed last week. I'm juggling your memory here. If something were actually beautiful, if, if beauty, or let's say in the case of music, melody, when we, say, when we say a piece of music is beautiful, what we say is it's melodious. When you say something's melodious, and if it's in a piece of music, well, why do we seek other pieces of music to listen to, to achieve the same sense of pleasure? Why is it not that once you found one thing that brings you this pleasure, that's enough? Because surely, if something has pleasure in it, the more you consume it, the more you should experience pleasure. Wouldn't you agree? Let me say that again. If something contains pleasure, if pleasure is objective, if pleasure is characteristic of, in our example, a piece of music, a song, then the more times you listen to that song, the more you should be filled with pleasure. Now, immediately you might say, well, yes, that is why every time I listen to that, there's a particular song that I really like, and every time I listen to it, 
I'm just flooded with pleasure, you might say. Ah, well, in which case, let me propose to you this. How about? If it's pleasure that you seek when you listen to music, and if this piece of music brings you this pleasure that you claim, that, that it brings you, then just limit yourself to listen to that song for the rest of your life. Because if it brings you pleasure, why should you need to listen to another song? And the more times you listen to it, the more you should be filled with pleasure, right? So if you listen to it for a whole year, then you would start overflowing with pleasure, wouldn't you? But what normally do we see tends to happen? <laughs> you see, different songs come out at different times of the year, right? Different artists, they come into the spotlight from time to time and they steal, the, they steal people's hearts, but they're all relatively short-lived. And why is that? Why doesn't the same piece of music make us all happy and make us happy all of the time? Why do you get fed up of listening to the same thing after a while? Because if pleasure was a characteristic of that song, of that piece of music, then the more times you listen to it, you can only experience more and more and more pleasure. Are you suggesting to me that you get fed up of pleasure? That can't be true. That is, I'm sure that is not what you're trying to say. I'm sure that is not what you think happens. No one gets fed up of pleasure. That is why you choose to listen to another song. Why? Because you don't feel the same amount of pleasure that you did when you first listened to this song. So you find another song. You find another artist. You find another type of music. Another album. Why? Because pleasure was not in the song in the first place. I'm proposing these concepts to you and I want you to analyze them. Don't take anything I say for granted because it doesn't work like that. I know what I'm saying to you is true but I don't want you to accept it simply because it is I who's saying it to you. But I know that it is true. I know it's true because it has been true for me. And the same has to happen for you, folks. It has to be true for you. And that's not because I say so. It's not because I'm a monk. It's not because the Buddha said so. That doesn't work. It has to be true for you. That is what realization is. It's when something's true for you. You can know something, that's knowledge, but the moment of realization is when you know that that is true. That is what I want to happen for you, as it has happened for me. Because then we know with conviction. I want you to realize the truth in these words, so much so that even if I were to come up and offer counter-arguments one day, even if I were to come and try and prove to you, actually, no, 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 Actually, beauty is in the object. Pleasure is in the object. All of the things that I said in, back in the day, just ignore that. You should be able to, tell back to say back to me, Oh no, Bhante. We didn't accept what you said to us 
because you said it. We analyzed it. We took it into the lab of life. We analyzed it. We verified it. We tested it. And we got the results. Now, it may be so that you proposed this to us. It may be so that you suggested this to us. It may be so that Bhante, you taught me this. But now I accept it because it is true for me, not because you taught me this. So even if you try and now tell me that it is not true, I'm afraid I can't accept this now. That is what I want to happen for you. That is what my teachers have done with me. Because that is when I can become an independent student of life. So let's get back to the point that we were discussing. If beauty or melody, so I want you to understand what I mean by melody here. It's not just the melody in a piece of music. I mean when someone finds something melodious that's pleasing to the ear. So the beauty in music or the beauty in sound. Right, so beauty in sight, beauty in sound, beauty in smell. I think the word beauty is quite simple, so we could use it across the board, can't we? You smell something nice, if you'll allow me to refer to it as, as the beauty in smell, then it will make our discussion quite simple and straightforward. The beauty in taste, of course we call it delicious, tasty even. But if you'll allow me to simply say the beauty in taste, well, that's quite simple. It matters not what the words we use are. It's the idea, the concept that we need to try and understand. So the beauty in sound, is it objective? Or rather, is it subjective? Now, someone might feel, now because of course last week I asked you to do some homework. And that was to think about this. Think about how you could apply these concepts and in your lab of life, see how much these words hold true. And to, in fact, try and disprove them. That is what I'd like you to do. Anything I share with you, I'd like you to try and disprove. Why? Not because it's just a game of verbal tennis. You know, this is not what this is for. So that we can just keep arguing with each other. That is not the intention. But it will become true for you when you try and disprove what I try to say. What I am saying. When you try to disprove what I am saying, you will realize, hopefully you will realize that actually what the Bhante is trying to say cannot be disproved. It is true. I want you to realize that. That is why I ask you to try and disprove what I'm what I'm sharing with you. These are the methods that I used and these are the methods that my teachers encouraged me to use. And I love my teachers for it. Because it has worked it's wonders on me. So much so that today I'm able to navigate this journey on my own. I feel empowered. The empowerment of realization. 
is what I want to happen for you. See, this is all very logical. All of this makes sense. So, some of you may have thought of an example such as this. Well, Bante, let's take a beauty pageant, for instance. Oh, Miss World, Miss Universe. Normally, someone who gets, who, who's the winner, who becomes the beauty queen, is someone that everyone finds attractive. Everyone thinks that that person's beautiful. Maybe something that you would have thought, maybe something that you're wondering, well then, is beauty subjective or is it really actually objective? Well, is it really the case that everyone, absolutely everyone, finds that person the most beautiful out of all of them? So if you actually went to the judges, and I know you know that those results are not disclosed, it's only the end result you get at the end of something like that. If you really took the time or had the means to ask an audience who they thought was the, the most beautiful out of all of them, while the winner might have been Miss America, others might say, well, actually, it's Miss Nigeria that I find most beautiful. Others might know it's actually Miss China. Actually, it's Miss Argentina. Miss India. Or if I may say so myself, Miss Sri Lanka. It cannot be that everyone, everyone finds the same person most beautiful. But how is it then that on occasions more than one person, let's even say the majority, I wouldn't say all of them, but the majority find the same person beautiful? Aha. Uh -huh. That's a very interesting point to consider. You see, that's where advertising comes in. The more times you hear the same thing, the more it becomes true for you. Because, and we will discuss this in more detail as we take one or two more steps forward on our journey on the Buddha's Guide to Happiness series of talks, the Buddha's Philosophy of Happiness, how this concept of beauty, because it's in the mind rather than in the object, you can influence someone to see certain things in a certain way. Now, take a moment and ask yourself, has that never happened to you? When someone says something really nice about something or someone, that particular thing or that particular person that you didn't find that attractive up until then, you somehow begin to like more and more. You find that person or that thing more and more attractive. 
Has that never happened to you? What is advertising all about? Why is it that when the same thing has been said to you a hundred times, a thousand times over, even a lie is said a hundred times over could become true for you. So you might ask, aha, so Bhante, is that what you're trying to do here? You're trying to keep on saying what you're saying so that we begin to accept what you say? No, that's why I say take this into the lab of life and test it, verify it. You don't have to listen to this talk a hundred times over. Listen to it once and now take it into the lab of life and analyze it, test it, verify it, check it out. But my argument is, what I want to try and help you understand here is, because beauty is not in the object but rather in the mind. So this is, this is the theory that I'm proposing to you. I know it is true. I know 100% that it is true. I know it with conviction. But I don't want you to accept it just because I say so. And that is why I'm using some of these words like I propose to you, I suggest to you and so on. But I know this is true. But I don't want you to think that I'm trying to brainwash you or even trying to get you to accept it, accept what I'm saying to you just because I'm saying to you. Okay, now I'll stop trying to convince that. I think that's enough. You get the point. So my point is, I want you to consider, has that never happened to you in your life where you didn't think something was all that, but then either a friend of yours, or maybe, someone, maybe someone in the family, a family member, kept on saying, he's nice, she's nice, it's nice, why don't you try it? You know, just have some, see, it's nice. I told you, try it, try a little bit more. Just have a look. Come on, just try it out. Sometimes repeatedly, saying the same thing over and over and over again, what happens is, the concept of beauty, or rather, the idea that that particular object, or that particular person, that particular thing, the said object, becomes attractive in your mind. It becomes pleasurable in your mind. It becomes beautiful in your mind. So really, beauty is infectious. Now, that is why advertising works. Not until now you didn't realize what they were doing with you. Perhaps. So you thought that they were only talking about what was actually characteristic of the object. Think about an advert where they're trying to sell you a soft drink. Uh, this is the most delicious thing. Nothing's ever been invented that is so delicious as this soft drink. This is tasty. This is yummy. This is gorgeous. You see, what happens in the advert? Normally, you'll have someone, someone who you trust, right? Maybe a sports person, uh, a very popular, very famous figure, is normally used as a brand ambassador. Why is that? 
because you accept the words of this person, this ambassador, and therefore you will readily accept what they have to say about the object that they're advertising to you. Why is it that not any Tom, Dick or Harry can come and convince you that something is so good? Why do you need someone like a brand ambassador? Why does it have to be a, a, a world-famous footballer? Or why does it have to be a world-famous cricketer? Or why does it have to be a world-famous actor or an actress? That has to be a brand ambassador. Why could it just not be the person down the street? Because you don't accept their word for it. That's why. Because you don't trust them so much. But you do trust the people you hold with high regard. The famous personalities. And so therefore when they say something, matters not what it is they say. When they, something, when they say something because you trust them, because you believe them, because you, you idealize them, what they find attractive, what they find beautiful, what they find pleasurable, all of a sudden, you also find beautiful. Because what has happened is they have influenced you. When they say something's nice, something's beautiful, you listen to it and you accept it. Because their words carry weight. Their words are very powerful and that's why they get paid top dollar for that. When I first realized this was what's happening to me as I was watching an advert, when I first realized this, I felt like a right donut. I was being influenced against my will. I didn't want to be influenced. Do you like to be influenced? In fact, do you like to be manipulated? I'm not saying I've got anything against advertisers. Oh no. That's just the way they work. That's the way the world operates. You do it all the time without even realizing it. You influence other people. Now if you go visit the newly opened Chinese restaurant and if you try out the teriyaki noodles, right? The next time you meet your colleague at work, you're going to tell them, oh, this new restaurant in town, wonderful. You must try it, especially the teriyaki. I had a bit of it and, oh my God, I was in heaven. You must absolutely try it. You see, you see what you're doing there? Why is word of mouth the best form of advertising? You know, if pleasure was in the object, why would you need advertising? Why would you need word of mouth? Just stick it in the mouth to prove that something's pleasurable. But no, you need word of mouth. Why do you need word of mouth if, if pleasure was in the object? The same noodles. Try it before you have been influenced and try it after you have been influenced. You will taste the difference. You will taste the difference. You will. That is the power of advertising. That is the power of the mind. The mind can make you see things in ways you can never imagine. So you can be influenced to think that a particular person is beautiful. Particular characteristics are beautiful. So you could be influenced to think that long hair is beautiful. Or short hair is beautiful. I mean, you know, just think for, about it for a moment. If 
Everyone agrees that long hair is beautiful. Why do some people have short hair? Have they gone nuts? If the whole world, if every man and his dog believes that long hair is beautiful, why do some people have short hair? What, didn't they go to school or something? No, they just don't find long hair attractive. So they don't want to wear short long hair. They like to wear short hair. Some people think curly hair is beautiful. Others think straight hair is beautiful. What is the consensus on that? So you see, if it was Miss America who won the beauty contest and she's got long hair, then everyone should now, if, if that is the epitome of beauty, then from that day on, shouldn't everyone simply just have long hair? But do they? No, go and try suggesting to someone, I think you should have long hair because Miss America, she's got long hair. I'll keep my short hair, thank you very much. You grow long hair if you want. You might even get an earful from them to go and propose something that they find so absurd. All evidence that beauty is not in the object. What colors have you painted your walls? Some of you have pink, others might have blue, some might have a light green, was it lime green, lemon yellow, lilac, brilliant white. Why this range of colors? What's a beautiful house? What colors are the walls of a beautiful house? Tell me. What colors are the walls of a beautiful house? What design is a beautiful house? Do they have the staircase on the inside or on the outside? A beautiful house? Now, you have to all answer the same. Well, of course, if beauty is in the house, then you should all come up with the same answer. Is it landscaped or rock paved? Which one? is the beautiful house. Why, why is it that some people, some couples even get into arguments and maybe sometimes even end up in divorce? Simply because they can't agree on the color that their house should be painted. I say blue, no, I say pink. No, it's got to be blue. No, pink, not under my roof. Well, then I'll get out of the under this roof. Fine, so be it. They got together promising each other they'd be with each other till death do us part, they said. Little did they know that just working to decide on what color they should paint their walls was going to decide the length of their married life. Why and why again I ask you, why is it then that two people can't agree 
on the color of their walls. Why is it that two people can't agree what color their carpets should be? Or their sofa? Or their curtains? Or the flowers that they grow at home? Or what they are going to have for dinner? You like it with salt, she likes it without. You like it with sugar, she likes it without. You like it without a lot of spice, but she likes it with spice. Why? You like green bananas, she likes yellow bananas. Why? You like the green capsicums, she likes the red capsicums. Why? What does this teach us? What, this, what is this evidence to us of? Is it not time and time again solid proof that beauty is not in the object, but rather this experience of pleasure that we are quite simply putting as beauty in sight, sound, smell, taste and touch and so on are all subjective rather than objective? Is it not in the mind of the beholder? They say it's in the eye of the beholder, but the truth of the matter is it's in the mind of the beholder. Because an eye is not a judge of beauty, is it? It's the mind. The eye is simply a sense door. It takes the sight to the mind. And then the mind determines. I'll leave you with that for today. I promise you, we will continue this discussion next week. But I don't want to drag on these talks for longer than they need to be. But I hope today I have been able to share with you and share with you some convincing evidence that beauty is not in the object. Pleasure is not in the object. So what is the conclusion? I'm not saying we are concluding this point of discussion. We will continue it next week. But what is the conclusion that we need to try and draw out of this? If beauty is not, if pleasure is not in the object, what have we done with our lives all this time, trying to surround ourselves with the things, the people that we thought brought pleasure to our lives? Does that not go at least some way to explain why it is that people, after having accumulated all sorts of material objects and things and wealth and so on, are still not content with life? They have not found fulfillment. They have not found happiness. Think about that. And we will continue our discussion next week. Before we conclude then, let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired to all those who are deserving of our merit transfer. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the Noble Lineage in the form of the Tripitaka which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters, who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. 
Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns in your, in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those of you who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, our husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have been very understanding with us, who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to the devas, brahma, spirits, and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhutasasana. Let us also transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way they could. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation and continue to do so. And may all who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us all transfer these merits to all those who have lost their lives in the natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes and landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one that affects all of us. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been our friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power of all the merits we have acquired today, May you and I and everyone who has helped make this program a success become an Arahant or an Arahat Mehnin Mahanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. Hoping to meet you again next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.